0: anniversary from when I first came to speak at AIC when I was candidating for the position for discipleship pastor. And so it's amazing what has happened in the past year and uh, my wife and my son and I, um, we came on board officially in August and it's been a great uh, first few months that we've been here and we look forward to hopefully not more months but many years together. Um, This is the final series that we will be uh, final sermon for our series in Advent on extraordinary pe- or Ordinary People, Extraordinary God. And during this Christmas festive holiday season, there's lots of familiar songs and carols and choruses that we sing. Some of them are, are Christian, some of them are just secular, fun songs. Uh, when we think about some of these songs, though, some of them, if we sung them as if it happened in real life, it would be kind of strange, wouldn't it? Um, think about Frosty the Snowman. How many of you have ever built a snowman? Okay, you are the lucky ones. How many of you have never even seen snow in person? I feel sorry for you. Um, <laughs> snow is, is a wonderful thing. And in that song, the snowman like, comes to life and starts running around and walking around. And it's, it's like a kid's song, but that would really freak me out if I saw a snowman come to life. Well, we also think about the uh, 12 Days of Christmas, and it's sung as if it's such great, wonderful gifts from uh, the the wonderful, I guess it's a man to his lovely girl that he wants to give romantic gifts to, but if you think about some of the gifts, eight maids a-milking, seven swans a-swimming, six geese a-laying, you know, golden rings, okay, that's good, but... Four, four um, calling birds, three French hens, two turtle doves, and a partridge in a pear tree. What's a partridge in a pear tree? I don't know. Don't ask me. That's a song. Anyway. Um, but think about that. Think about the number of birds in that song. And... The cows that would be there, and just imagine that at your little flat here in Hong Kong. I mean, just think about the mess that would be there, and the noise, and the clatter, and, you know, everything. Drummers drumming, pipers piping, lords a-leaping. Well, we sing these songs knowing that, okay, this is not, not real, this is, um, you know, just, just for fun. But I wonder at Christmas time, we also sing other songs about Jesus being the Son of God and Emmanuel, God with us. But when we sing those songs, when we think about this season, do we understand the enormity of what it means if that were real? The enormity of the impact it would have on each of our lives if God himself really did come down to earth in the form of a human to save us, to die for us, to give us new life, to give us hope, to give us peace. Just think about that. So I think often we can, in this holiday season, go through the motions of the season and sing and listen to the carols and the songs, but do we really understand the enormity and the impact that Christ's coming has for us? So I want us to think about that this morning. And we're going to be asking ourselves a question, how will we respond then If Christ really has come, if he really is God here with us. Well, today we're going to be focusing on this story of the Magi um, as as well as King Herod. And we're going to be looking at and uh, going through Matthew chapter 2. So if you have a Bible um, or you have a digital version, uh, you can open that and uh, we will be referencing Matthew chapter 2. And if someone next to you has one you can share with, that would be great. Well, in the passage that Eris read for us today, it said that Magi from the east came to Israel asking where to find this newborn king of the Jews. And when the king hears this, King Herod, he understandably became quite disturbed um, because he was worried that his throne would be in jeopardy. And so he uh, devises a plan to go and find this child so he can worship Him. Now, of course, we find out later on that He really wanted to kill the boy. Um, If we kept reading in uh, verse 16, He actually gives orders to kill all of the boys two years old and younger in Bethlehem and the surrounding area. Um, So He wanted to kill Jesus because He wanted to hold on to His power and reign as King. Well, the Magi, on the other hand, um, were truly overjoyed by the news of this newborn king, and they couldn 't help but worship the child jesus and they brought him the kingly gifts that Twinkie talked about of gold, frankincense, and myrrh and so today we 're going to look at the contrast of how king David, uh, king Herod sorry King Herod and the magi, how each of them responded to the coming of the Messiah or the Christ, who is Jesus now both King Herod and the Magi knew. That Jesus had come. There wasn't a debate of whether Jesus came, who Jesus was. The difference was how they responded. And they had completely different responses. And I think, I believe the same is true for us today. Um, We know that Jesus has come. You know, I don't have time in this uh, sermon this morning to go through the historicity of Jesus, the historical fact that Jesus really existed. Um, but most, most historians, legitimate historians, all agree that a man named Jesus was born, that he came. The question is, how will we, how will you respond to the coming of Jesus? So let's first look at um, King Herod. And King Herod was part of a dynasty, um, a dynasty that ruled in Israel during the first century B.C. Um, King Herod was very prosperous. He had lots of wealth. He had many wives. Um, But he became very ruthless. And historians agree that he had a a history of being very paranoid, extremely paranoid and jealous. In fact, we're told that um, he had three of his own sons... ...and one of his wives executed. He killed them because he had an unfounded fear... ...that they were trying to lead a rebellion against him... ...to overthrow him. Um, And so what's interesting about King Herod... ...is he knew about the prophecies of the coming Christ... ...the coming Messiah. In uh, verse 4, when he hears that there's this rumblings... ...about these magi who come... ...and they're asking, where's this king of the Jews... And what is his response? Well, he he calls the, together the chief priests and the teachers of the law and he asks them where the Christ or the Messiah will be born. So he understands that this coming of a newborn king, this is related to the Messiah. So he knew very well the Hebrew scriptures and the prophecies and that the Messiah was coming. And so he was fearful that when Christ came... Um, that his reign and his rule as king would be over, would be done. And he wanted to do everything to hold on to that. Well, something that we learn from King Herod is that he focused on his own kingdom. King Herod focused on his own kingdom. He wanted to be king and ruler of his own life. And he did everything that he could to reject Jesus. Um, again, he, he even tried to kill him, as we read in verse 16. And so it says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And then he sought to kill Jesus. And, you know, many of us are like this as well in the sense that we like to focus on our own kingdoms, we want to be king and ruler of our own lives. Um, And so we're concerned about building our own kingdoms rather than building God's. Life becomes about our wants, our desires, our concerns, our comforts, our problems. You know, life often revolves around us. What I found interesting about um, verse 3, it not only says that King Herod was disturbed, but all Jerusalem with him. Now, why would... the the city of Jerusalem, be disturbed that the Christ was coming? Wouldn't you be thinking that they would be overjoyed that Christ was finally here, that the prophecies are coming true? Well, I believe that human nature is human nature. And not only King Herod wanted to maintain his rule as literal king, but I think the people probably wanted to maintain the rule of their own lives as their own kings and queens. They wanted to... You know, it would disrupt their comforts. Um, some scholars believe that maybe that's referring to uh, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mentioned in verse 4. And that would be true too. Um, I'm sure the religious leaders of the day, if Christ was here, he would be the one who would take all the glory. He would be the one who would have powerful teaching. And they would, they would lose their prestige and status in society. I've worked with teenagers for many years. I was a youth pastor for um, 11 years full time. And something that I heard on a regular basis from teenagers, they would say it either to me or other youth workers or their parents or teachers, something along this line. When they were asked to do something they didn't want to do or they were told not to do something they wanted to do, they would say things like this, oh, it's my life. "'You can't tell me what to do. I'll do what I want. "'I'll do whatever makes me happy. Leave me alone.'" (laughs) Now, after becoming a father, um, I've learned that not only teenagers say things like this. (laughs) My son is only two and a half, and really within the past month he started talking. Um, He went from saying virtually no words to two-word phrases, so I guess he skipped the whole one-word thing. That was too boring. Um, But he has learned one word now the past couple weeks that is not a good word. He's learned the word no. (laughs) And that's how he says it. It's not cute, like no, no. It's like no, no. Lucas, you need to put your shoes on. No. Lucas, you need to eat. No. It's time for bed. No. (laughs) Turn off the TV. No. (laughs) So, that, that has taught me that, you know what, this is human nature. We all naturally want to live our own life. We want to be our own king or queen. We don't want people telling us what to do. And you know, as, as Christians, we think and we know that the coming of Christ is good news. It means that there's hope. God has stepped into our broken world I mean, just imagine that. The perfect, holy, magnificent, amazing, eternal God has stepped into our finite, broken, hurting, sinful world. And He has come to give us hope, to give us peace, to give us true joy, to give us eternal life. I mean, I don't know about you, but that's good news. And He promises that one day He will come back again and He'll make all the wrongs right. There will be no more pain, suffering, death, disease, sickness. That's good news, but to many in the world, the coming of Christ is not seen as good news. It's seen as something that's oppressive and restrictive. Christ has come. That means I need to surrender to him. That means I, my life is going to change. Things are going to go the way that I, I'm wanting them to right now. And so a lot of people find this restrictive and oppressive. Uh, I spoke at the CEIS Gospel Camp last month, Christian Alliance International School, and uh, after the final session, there was a lot of students that stayed back um, for prayer and for um, for reflection, and uh, a lot of them stayed for about an hour, and it was really amazing how God was working and. I talked to a couple students who were just not sure if they really wanted to follow Christ. And I asked them, what's holding you back from becoming a Christian, from giving your life to Christ? And uh, a couple of them said that they wanted to, but they were just so reluctant to give up the things they knew they needed to in order to follow Christ. And they didn't want to give up the things that they were holding dear to. And I told them that you know, following Christ isn't about changing first and then following him. It's following him and he'll make the changes next. Um, but it showed me on the one hand that it's, that's our human nature again. We, we want to hold on to the things that are dear to us. It's, is it worth it to follow Christ? Thankfully, um, one or two of those prayed to receive Christ later. But not everyone is willing to accept the message. Many of us are like King Herod. When it comes down to it, we just care more about our kingdom than God's. Well, because King Herod was so focused on his own kingdom, he also was blinded by his selfishness. King Herod was blinded by his selfishness. Interestingly... If you look at the account, um, either he couldn't see the star that the Magi saw or or he was unable to see it um, or he was ignoring it. And you know what? So often we too can get wrapped up in, in our own world. We can get so focused on our own life, our own kingdom. That we miss out on what's going on around us. Uh, earlier this week, this past week, um, I was riding the train from where I live in Taiwai to Hong Ham. and uh, the big interchange where a lot of people get off and seats become available is at Kowloon Tong. And normally, I'm a really nice guy. I stand and I wait. And if there's, I wait till the new people come in, and if there's still a seat available, then I'll sit down. But I'll, I'll give my seat for those, you know, who, who may need it. Well, this past week I had a lot, it was Christmas time, and we, we were seeing a lot of people, and we had the English camp. And so I had a lot of late nights, a lot of early mornings, and there was one day where I just made up my mind, I'm getting a seat. <laughs> Even though it's only ten minutes, i got to have some time of rest. So, um, I made up my mind that as people, I knew they were going to get up, and I saw there was people waiting outside, I was going to, boom, go right to the the seat. So, I saw some people coming in, in my peripheral vision, but I intentionally didn't look, because what if it was like a guy on crutches, you know? Um, So, I was like, I would plead ignorance, oh, I didn't see you, I'm sorry. So... (laughs) I saw some people come in, so I got there and I got down and I just opened my phone. I wasn't even reading anything, but just to pretend that, well, I don't see you if you're on crutches. So so there I am, focused on my own kingdom, my own little world, and um, I'm relaxed. And I'm thinking about how nice it is that I have a seat. And I can see the people who came in, in my peripheral vision, but I can't see who they are, just that there's bodies there. And so I intentionally don't look up. And then I come to the terminus in Hong hum. I get up and I look, and there's these two very, very elderly women staring right at me. <laughs> or at least it felt like they were. I don't know if they actually were. but, And I felt awful. I felt so bad because I was focused on my kingdom. I was focused on my desires, my comforts. And because of my selfishness, I literally was blinded to the people that were around me. I was blinded to the need that was there. They needed the seat way more than I did. But you know, more importantly than that, every day God is doing amazing things around us. God is at work around us. God is at work around you. And so the question is, are you watching? Are you noticing? Are you listening? Are you paying attention? Or are you, like I was so focused on your own kingdom that you just don't have time to bother with what God's doing around you in his kingdom. You know, the question is never, you know, is God at work around me? God is always at work. It's whether or not we're aware of that. And so King Herod, he was blinded by his selfishness because he was so focused on his own kingdom. Well, let's contrast this with the Magi. And traditionally, the Magi are referred to as the wise men. Now, we're going we're to go on a tangent very briefly. How many wise men came to visit Jesus? Now, these are, this is a depiction of the wise men or the Magi from the movie The Nativity Story, if some of you have seen that. So how many came? How many of you say six? Anybody say eight? Anybody say three? Okay, how many of you say, I don't know? Okay, for the first time in multiple choice history, the answer is, I don't know. So well done. Now wait a minute. Doesn't, doesn't the song say, the, the, the Christian hymn or carol, We three kings of Orient are. Do you guys know that song, some of you? So why did they say three? Well, okay, this is a tangent, but... Because it's related to this, I just have to get it off my chest because it's one of my pet peeves. Please, as a reminder, don't get your theology or your uh, Bible knowledge from songs or even hymns. Um, Because well-intentioned Christians have um, written uh, songs that sometimes, not all, in fact most are not, but some can be misleading at worst... And flat out wrong, at, or misleading at best, and flat out wrong at worst. Um, there's another Christmas song that when it comes to that line, I just am like, well, that's not quite right. Um, how many of you know A Way in a Major? Okay, we sing it. I, I've sung it when I was a child. There's, there's a, a verse that goes, The cattle are low wing, poor baby awakes, but little Lord Jesus... No crying he makes. You know, this might be nitpicking, but we talked about last week, Pastor Mike talked about the incarnation, meaning God with us, Emmanuel, in the flesh. That means that when Jesus came, it was God coming in the flesh. He never ceased being God, but he took on humanity. He was a baby. Do babies cry? Yes. And so the song, it's, you know, it's just one of these things that kind of is misleading about the whole incarnation and the deity and humanity of Christ, who was the God man, 100% man, 100% Christ. So that's just a little side sermon, and now we'll come back to the, the passage. So let's not get our theology from. Songs, hymns, let's get it from the Bible. What does the Bible say? And the Bible says we don't know how many came. Um, also, most likely they were not kings. Um, the, the proper term actually would be magi, which is a plural of the Latin or Greek uh, magus or magus, which um, referred to a priestly order of astrologers. Now, that term is a little misleading because we think of astrology today to be very, very superstitious. Um, but these would have been scientists, actual scientists, who studied the stars, but a little bit more so than astronomers in that they found certain meaning within the stars. So all we know is that the plural um, of the plural term magi is used. So at least two came, um, but it's interesting that when we look historically... Um, orders of Magi would have upwards of a maximum of about 12, so it could have been anywhere between two and 12. We don't know. Um, even if you've watched the Nativity story, they they attribute names to them: um, Casper, Melchior, and Balthazar. But other traditions have other names, so we we don't know their names. Um, and that the song refers to we three kings of Orient are that they came from the Orient. Um, which implies the Far East. Okay, Orient implies Far East, like China or Japan, Korea. Um, and there are traditions that say they came from either India or China. However, Matthew only says in his Gospel account that they came from the East. Um, and so most scholars believe they actually came from Persia, or modern, which is modern-day Iran, or as Americans say, Iran. Iran. Um, modern day Iran, um, some say possibly Arabia, but most say from Persia or modern day Iran and so as astrologers, the magi specialized in studying the stars and they believed that the star that they observed signified the birth of a new ruler or king now what 's really interesting is how would these magi, who are you know several hundreds of thousands of miles away um, how would they know that the star they saw was associated with the birth of the Jewish Messiah? Think about all the different kingdoms, all the different countries throughout the Middle East. And at that time, there would have been plenty of of people groups. So how would they associate it with the Jewish Messiah? Well, one theory is that they might have been somewhat familiar with the Hebrew Scriptures because of Daniel, the prophet Daniel, who was in Babylon... Um, which would have been modern-day Iraq, so bordering countries, um, centuries earlier. And in fact, if we, if you look at Daniel chapter two, verse forty-eight, um, Daniel himself may have been placed in charge of all of the Magi in Babylon. Um, because he was told that he was placed in charge of all of its wise men. And the Hebrew word there is similar to the Greek word for magi. And so they may have also been familiar with the prophecy about the Messiah in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. And so they may have um, viewed the stars a fulfillment of that, which says, "...a star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel." And so this star, scholars say, could have had a double meaning, that it clearly refers to the coming of the Messiah, but it also could be referring to the sign of the coming of the Messiah as well. And so if this is, if this is true, which as I research seems to make the most sense, isn't that amazing how God has orchestrated his plan from the beginning? For, for hundreds of years earlier to, to bring Daniel and his um, friends to Babylon, I'm sure at that time they're wondering, why are we captive here? Why are we slaves here? And yet God raises up someone who's a remnant of his people in a distant land, a distant country, and then that tradition stays there for several hundred years later so that nearby people groups could also be aware of and know the coming of the Messiah. And what's interesting is the first people that it seems who come to visit Jesus were the Gentiles, the shepherds, and then the Magi here. And so we have um, an amazing fulfillment here of God's plan. Well, something we learn from the Magi is that They were focused on God's kingdom. Unlike King Herod, they were focused on God's kingdom. Their response to Jesus' birth was one of surrender and one of worship. Uh, Even their gifts demonstrated they understood who Jesus was and why he came. It says that they they inquired, they, they traveled so far... And they inquired, where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? And we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And the gifts they brought demonstrated that they, they understood who Jesus was and why he came. First of all, gold. It was very valuable at that time, just like it is today. And so it symbolized that Jesus was a king. In fact, he was the king, the king of kings and lord of lords. And as Twinkie mentioned earlier, frankincense, which was a a valuable tree resin and used in perfumes and aromatherapy at that time. And it was also used as part of the incense that they would worship God with. And so it symbolized that they understood that he was God. And then finally, myrrh. Um, Myrrh is a natural blend of essential oil and tree resin, and it was... Uh, for those of you who are familiar with Chinese medicine, it's used in Chinese medicine as a bitter and spicy agent. And so it often was used as a burial spice and for embalming. And so this symbolized Jesus' humanity and his death, that he would endure the cross. And so the Magi, they, were, they understood <clears throat> because they were focused on God's kingdom. And so we have to again ask ourselves the question, Are we more focused on God's kingdom or ours? We also know that the Magi, unlike King Herod, they weren't blinded, but they were aware that God was at work. First of all, they diligently followed the star crossing various lands and countries over many months probably, and once they finally arrived, they were overjoyed When they finally came to see Jesus, it says that they were overjoyed and they couldn't help but bow down in worship. And they were also in tune with what God was doing uh, when they responded to the dream, when they were warned um, that Herod had a devious plot and to not go back to him, and they returned to their country by a different route. And so we have to ask ourselves the question are we aware? Are you aware? That God is at work around you. And what are you going to do in response to that? Are you going to be a part of God working? My wife Gita is what I call a relational evangelist. And what I mean by that is uh, we think of evangelists as people who come up and preach. Um, Gita would probably never come up on stage and, and give a sermon. Or she wouldn't go up to random people and just start talking about Jesus. But what my wife has a and I admire her for this, is has an uncanny ability to just befriend people who aren't yet Christians. That's the way I like to view it. People who don't know Christ yet. And um, so she has gotten to know uh, a Jewish family that lives in our uh, estate. And so um, I think she met the the mother through a uh, a mom's group. And uh, so uh, they have play dates now with um, because our sons are about the same age. Um, his name is guy it 's a pretty cool name um, so Guy and Lucas play every Wednesday well, the Wednesday before Christmas, they got together and they had um, their normal play date and uh, the mom she knew that it was Christmas the next week, so she didn't she just kind of gently asked, "So are we going to?" Um, Meet next week. I don't want to, you know, know it's Christmas, so maybe we can postpone it a week. And so, Gita knows that, especially for me, Christmas is probably since moving to Hong Kong the one day, the one day out of the year where we try to just focus on family where it's just us. And we keep that pretty guarded because we have plenty of other times, 364 other days where we can be out with relatives, friends, and other people. But this is kind of our time to celebrate. And normally we're very guarded about that. But Gita followed the Holy Spirit's leading, followed God's leading, and she said, yeah, no, it's fine. It's no problem. Let's get together on Christmas. That would be great. And so she invited the husbands over and said, hey, we'll just have a dinner together. And so, you know, the lady was like, are you sure? I know. She's like, no, let's do it. And so I'm so glad that Gita did that because what an amazing opportunity to share about the coming of the Messiah to the Jews at Christmas. (laughs) And we shared a little bit, not a lot, but I shared a little bit. Um, What I did was earlier, Lucas had a lot of gifts that he opened and I felt kind of bad. It was kind of awkward because... Christmas can be commercialized a bit and I didn't want them to think we were you know, not really following the true meaning of Christmas. But I told Lucas, I said, isn't your new bike and your new scooter and your new car racing thing and everything else you got, aren't those really amazing gifts? But you know what the best gift is? The best gift is Jesus because he came to give us new life and eternal life and forgiveness. And so I told them, Later, that, that's how we celebrated, that, you know, I just, I said, I know we got a lot of gifts for him, but I told him, and I, I said um, that, you know, and I referenced the Old Testament, I said, you know, often God uses pictures for us, or he uses experiences for us, especially in the Old Testament, he used a lot of experiences for the people of Israel to prove a point, to teach a point, point. and so I said, that's kind of what we do, we give gifts as a symbol or picture that God is the greatest gift. And if Jesus really was God, he would be the greatest gift. And they kind of nodded and said, yeah, that's true. And so what an amazing opportunity that was. But that would only happen if Gita was aware that God was at work. And to have the courage and willingness to respond in faith by saying, yeah, let's come on over. So the question now for us is, what's your story? And more specifically, how will you respond? Christ has come. He's here. Are you focused more on your kingdom or on God's kingdom? Are you so wrapped up in your own kingdom that you're blinded to what's going on around you, how God is working? Or are you aware and open to what God is doing in and around you? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up for a song of response. And as they're coming up, I'll just invite all of us to stand. And as we sing this response song, I never want anyone, we never want anyone, to sing something they don't mean. So if you don't mean it today, that's okay. Just don't sing. But if you really do mean it, let's have this be our prayer of response to say, God, I want to worship you. You alone, I long to worship. You alone are worthy of my praise. And are we really wanting to surrender ourselves to him? And so let's let this be our uh, closing response prayer and our, our act of worship to God in response to his coming.